I'm Vince. And I'm Travis. And we're about to ruin your games and stuff. This is Travis! Welcome to Undesign. Travis, welcome back to another episode, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. It's uh, good to be here. So I rolled a thing this week, um, strangely enough. You did? You did roll a thing? It was a thing. So uh, the thing was, and this is important because, okay, our podcast is titled Undesign, right? Yes. Um, What does someone mean when they say good design? Mm -hmm. That's the thing I rolled. It is. So more importantly, what does someone mean when they write a topic that says... What does someone mean when they say good design? So I wrote this because I think this gets bandied about a lot. But honestly, mm. I, I'm so, not. So people just use use it use it as a, a colorful way to say this is nice. This is good. Yeah, like they'll say this is a good game. It's designed well or something like that. And the question becomes, well, what the heck does that On even mean? On what criteria are you speaking from, right? Yes, exactly. It's such an amorphous compliment to give, right? Mm. Um because what does a what does a what does good design look like in a game or what does a well designed game look like people i suspect have such differing criteria for that when they use the sentiment and so i thought it would be fun to actually look at what does make for good design what are the elements of construction that make for a well designed game and what's important about that is it's quite independent of the themes or the ultimate right, the point or the exactly setting or the content of the game. Right? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, I, w- I do want to give a shout out here at the beginning. Shout out that if you want to see a much more expansive version of this topic than we're going to talk about, uh, a few years back at, uh, I think it was GDC, I don't remember for sure, but you can look up 20 Lessons of Game Design from Mark Rosewater, who was the lead designer of Magic the Gathering, one of the most successful games in history. Uh, He has his 20 lessons of basically good design. And it is incredibly illuminating, I think, as to the sort of uh, elements that make a game well-designed. Okay? Mm -hmm. But I think there are some stuff we can cover here because I certainly think that there are critical things that people who are thinking about creating a game need to do and have in their head and think about and that's what i want to talk that you about think today. might get overlooked too absolutely yes so okay so so let's talk about it then give 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 me give me something that you you think might be missing in a lot of fresh new game designers brains when they're putting their games together sure so there are a couple different models and theories out there. Uh, Robin Laws famously created a couple different versions of this, but like uh, the big theory of game design or whatever, there's a lot of different versions of it. But uh, I think most people start at the end. What I mean by that is they think, okay, I want to make a cool game where angels fight demons. Okay, that's the premise of my game, right? It's going to be a, it's going to be a, uh, a role-playing game and the protagonists the characters are going to be angels and or angelic beings and they're going to be fighting demons and it's going to be set in a noir version of the real world okay okay all right and um then the first thing they do so they kind of get that 
flash of a, a concept in their head, right? So that's where sort of everybody starts. And then the next thing they do is they go, okay, so this would be the rules for demons. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Slow your roll. That is so not where we are yet, right? None of that matters. Not, are you, they'll still start thinking, well, maybe I want to use ability scores or am I going to have experience or, or blah, 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 blah. We're going to use classes and this kind of crap. Talk about how many billion different systems you could use. Yeah. Yes. None of that is even the beginning of relevant at this stage in the design. So that's sort of the first element of good design. Good design does not start with the ephemera, the rules. Okay. That's almost one of the last things you should be worrying about. Uh, and there's going to be a progression to that. Good design starts with the guiding principles, the thematic elements, the larger conceptualization of what this game is, what it hopes to achieve, what's its sort of primary thing that the players are trying to do, okay, and when they participate in it. In video game world, we'd call this the primary loop, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, what is going to be the general tone, tenor, and, uh, and, and elements of the game that people should be experiencing as they're playing it, okay? Okay, all, all, all good points. What's, uh, so it sounds actually more, a lot more like, like, like building a business. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Because you don't start by saying like, well, I'll, well, we're going to put the register over here and we're going to put four tables right. over here and I'm going to order some green peppers from this place. No, it's not, it's that's like, not where you start. Not where you start, right? You start with a business plan, like geographically, where's the best place to, to is the market uh, good for a new taco joint? Mm. You know, what's, what's it look like right now? What's real estate prices look like? Uh, da, 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 yeah. And I think it's the same thing here. You start with what I often call guiding principles. That's that's what this boils down to, right? Mm -hmm. So in the angels versus demons game, for example, I would say, okay, well, the angels are all the, the guiding principles here are like, I want this game to feel as though there is a titanic struggle of good versus evil happening in the shadows of our everyday world, right? Mm -hmm. um, everything should be below the surface. Uh, and the humanity is sort of the ultimate currency that everybody, that the good guys and the bad guys are, are working over and working through and, uh, what players should feel when they feel, when they play this game is that, you know, they're, uh, they're the, they have righteousness on their side, but because of the nature of, of their own restrictions, they, they're forced to act in, in more, um, what I want to call it, like methods of subterfuge you wouldn't normally associate with sort of divine heavenly beings, right? And so they should feel like they, they're doing good, but they're often faced with moral questions of like, yes, they need to do good, but is this the right way to do good, right? So I want there to be moral quandaries and, and elements of that kind of thing. That's why I said sort of a noir, that'll fit the noir setting, right? Where not everything is necessarily black and white, which I realize the irony of because noir films were shot in very heavy uh, overexposed black and white, but, um, the, uh, and, and I want the, the, uh, the world to have lots of like 
colorful characters and feel like there's it's as much about who you know and the words you use and the the way you talk to people and the, so, so, then you, so, so when, when you say all this when you say mm-hmm. all this um it, it shows that, that that's that's the way to start because what if, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're looking if you're looking at your audience and your audience is looking at you and the, you, you like you say well, this this is about angels and demons, and demons have forty six plus ten hit points, <laughs> and right uh, three three different sets of skills. Yep. Or what all that stuff you just said, I'm buying your game, not the other guy's game. Right. 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 Exactly <laughs> correct. Yeah, it, you're exactly right. If you think about how narratively you would you would explain this to someone who knew nothing. Right. You wouldn't start with stats or ability scores or level up methods or any of that garbage. Right. Because that's but, all. On top of that, I think you're also getting to to a mechanical thing, though. Once you understand the world you're building, then you can you can design numbers that fit that world, as opposed to fitting your world to the numbers. Exactly. Yes, because each one of these things you do is going to be a is going to naturally constrain, right? Yes, the next step of your process, right? So uh, guide and constrain and construct the next step of your process. So the next thing I would say after you lay down your guiding principles is you kind of set down the what this game is actually about. You kind of that's when you begin constructing broad strokes like are we going to have combat in this game? Are we going to functionally, uh, you know, are we going to have these kinds of elements? And you can start constructing those kinds of things now that you're guided by your guiding principles. Right. And. Some of those decisions are going to be made automatically because of what you already decided in the step before, mm-hmm. right? And so when you – and then once you've laid down those very broad brush concepts, okay, great, cool, got it. Then the next thing you do, right, is now you can start moving into more individualized concepts. Okay, so this is maybe some ideas for what – the various kinds of angels look like and their role in society and how they would act. Great. Now I should be able to, now finally I should be able to, once I've conceptualized their types and their roles and the things they do, now I can write some rules for them. Mm-hmm. Right. You have some space for that. Yeah. Yeah. That all, that, that all tracks, man. I'm with you on it. <laughs> so I think good design follows a process like that. And uh, classically, this might be known as sort of top down design. Uh, but I, and I do think when, especially when you're starting fresh, just top down is going to be a much stronger, produce a much stronger product than traditional bottom up. Bottom up design is where you have a grid and you just kind of fill out the grid. Right. So, uh, you know, I need, so uh, in our last episode, we talked about, um, city of heroes some, right. Oh, we so did, yeah. that's a, that's a classic example of a grid system. Like what is a, blaster of this type look like and you combine these two things that that there's a grid layout there of everything right and so you have classes that can the combinations of all the different things and how their skills work that's a grid but the trick is you can only create a grid once you already know the coordinates you only know the coordinates by doing top-down design right so you can use bottom-up later to fill in the holes if you need to yeah um the the other thing i'll say so some other things i'll say about good design let me see if this one strikes you okay hit it Good design conforms in most cases to as many preconceived biases as you possibly can 
uh, that the that the that the player is going to bring to the table. Deviating only when you're trying to say something narratively important, structurally relevant, or meaningful to the experience you're trying to have. That's very measured. I I, I agree with all of the words you said. Um, okay. I think. Let me unpack um, that. How about that? Yeah. Okay. So, for example, let's talk about the basics. Let's keep this easy. In your world that you're or game that you're creating, whatever. Okay. If it's set in some kind of like earthish earthish place, <laughs> set on a planet, yeah. Then, assuming there's no reason not to do otherwise, there are things like day and night, and there is gravity, and people people sleep, and or beings sleep and eat and breathe, right? And talk, speak. They have roughly senses that are that are like ours or whatever, right? Yep. And on and on and on. And if you invoke certain elements uh, of this is a thing, then that thing should conceive to a bias that already exists, unless there's a good reason not to. So, for example, in the game that I just laid out, the angels that I constructed would sleep and eat and breathe and do all that stuff, okay? But they might do it a little less, right? They might be able to go longer because they're still on the mortal realm and all of this kind of crap, right? Uh, but at the same time, they might be more resistant to bullets. In other words, the bias becomes the norm, yeah? And I can deviate from it because I want to say these angelic beings are slightly tougher or more charismatic or more that whatever, seems whatever. It to work on a design, design level when you're talking about realism in gaming, right? Um, sure. I, I, I don't. I don't know how far that how far that that works when you're talking about something that's completely fantastical, right? Okay. So give an example. But if you're just. I mean, we're just talking about things that are co completely fantastical. Things that you can't really, uh, really, really give. Um, like Alice in Wonderland, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. There's there's some some really weirdness, weird, weirdly weird weirdness going on there. Things that uh, like don't don't. You wouldn't grok as a normal human, right? Someone's sure. insane imagination came up with that. No, I love this example. This is such a wonderful example, Travis. Because let's take Alice in Wonderland. Okay. okay. So she, there's still a lot of the things I mentioned still happen. Like there's still they gravity yes. and people still eat and breathe and all of that, right? And but at the same time, there are also weird beings that are just like giant playing cards that walk mm -hmm. around, and and you know, there's giant hares and tortoises and cats that can turn invisible and caterpillars that smoke hookahs and whatever but that's all weird but it's all still largely conforming to biases in other words the caterpillar that smokes a hookah he smokes a hookah that's a real world thing i right. can people i can do like, that. yes yes people do that and i know what that thing is right and i like he doesn't it's not a magic hookah that somehow uses that could that it's not a magic hookah where the stuff he puts in it are the dreams of dead children and the smoke he blows out becomes the dew mm -hmm. that grow that turns flowers from purple to, to red, right? That could be the case in, in crazy world like Alice in Wonderland. You could do that, but they didn't because there's no reason. That's just like, it isn't instructive of anything, right? The hmm. things that are weird, like well, the Mad about, Hatter. Okay, what about things like, like, like okay, Twin Peaks? Sure, sure, sure. Um, yes. Things, things that that um, 
and this is probably going to be insulting to people who are fans of the Twin Peaks. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I would say that much of the weirdness that would happen in Twin Peaks is not narrative, narratively relevant and is literally there to give you something to think about rather than to be informative in some way to the story. It's a tough example. You might be right. I mean, here's, not... here's, the, here's the thing. Here, here, sure. what, I'm, what I'm getting at in all this is I'm trying to find the opposite to what you're, what you're presenting as the way to do it, right? Sure. Um, I'm trying to find any example because I'm having a hard time finding an example that's <laughs> not what you're saying the way to do it is. Sure. And if, if I can't find an example of the way that not to do it, then yes, obviously you're right. Sure. That's fair enough. So, so Twin Peaks is a really interesting example because it starts as this super grounded show about murder and an FBI investigation, right? Like it's the most grounded thing at the beginning. The the almost the first episode of that show could almost be an episode of CSI, except it's like incredibly overly dramatic, right? Like it's mm-hmm. really melodramatic, sticky melodramatic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But nonetheless, the the sort of story that's evolving in the early episodes are pretty straightforward, right? And as the show goes on, it admittedly gets real weird <laughs> right um but it gets real weird in certain contrasting ways like the town itself is melodramatic but normal it's a sort of this heightened ultra reality this small town in washington right and those things that are there are used i think like again i'm not going to try to pretend to know what's in david lynch's mind i don't think any of us should okay he is dangerous territory he is a singularly strange creator who makes amazing things right that are very very hard to unpack often and i think sometimes you're probably right i think sometimes he does do stuff because he just he likes it right he likes the visual Mm -hmm. he likes what it says he likes the weirdness of it and thinks it's interesting and he doesn't have some overarching real purpose to it totally fair but what i'll say is at the same time i think that it does serve to become almost a meta element of his stuff where he uses it as this ultra contrasting against the reality of the situation as it were. Awesome, right? Yeah. Okay. So instead give me an example of what the opposite of what you're saying is. I can't think of any, because I think this is so okay. naturally That's fair. That's fair. what people want to do. And so my point is you, you could do this better or worse, right? Like my argument would be this. The people who like Lynch or uh, or or as you mentioned in these in these other places, uh, you you speaking about David Lynch got me thinking about Dune. Obviously, I've had Dune on the, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the brain a lot recently because of the all the right. announcements around the movie. And I am beyond excited for it because, you know, I'm a huge Dune fan. Right. So Dune is this world where uh, most things we know conform to reality, but not everything does. And the stuff that's different is different for a reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things because either to, to, uh, so why aren't there computers? Well, there's not computers because why, why do we use Mentats, right? Well, because there was a big war where computers rose up and nearly wiped out humanity, right? And so like artificial intelligence was gotten rid of and instead the Mentats are used, right? So it's a thing that's alive and is a human and has emotions and stuff. Right. All of these different weird elements flow for a reason. Yes. They, they are the world. They set the tone, the tenor, the experience of the world, right? And I think that when you're writing a game, don't be weird for weirdness sake. You're not David Lynch, right? So when you're like, when I think about the, to go back to my angels versus demons game, 
My answer would be I would keep as much stuff the same to the real world as I could, right? Mm -hmm. And I would change the most minimal amount of things that should be necessary to make the characters feel like they're piloting, you know, sort of noir angels trying to influence humanity, right? Yeah, to, if, to save their if, souls. If that is the, the thesis of the game, like where you're going with the game, what you've set out in your principles, right? Then yes. Right. And so don't like stick to your guiding principles and don't just write stuff in to be weird. Now, in individual stories, and I think this is part of where we get the difference of something between like designing a game and designing a show a show because a show is art a game is 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 something to be played it's mechanical right and i think that when you're when you're the if i was writing an adventure as opposed to writing a game i might sometimes put some stuff in an adventure that's weird for weirdness sake right and that's mm -hmm. okay because again you could communicate something about the world I still by done doing, that yeah they go to the fey world or you know whatever right it, crazy town they're in the land of dream the, the plane of dreams or they go to limbo or whatever you happen to, to be doing right um you can be weird for weirdness sake and it can still be instructive with the greater story and it's a weird interesting fun diversion yeah. when you're writing the game you want to keep people's biases as much in place as possible to return to rosewater story just very briefly he was doing a so you know plants versus zombies yes you know that game? okay mm -hmm. the reason it's plants versus zombies is because the creator of it was writing a tower defense game and originally it was just soldiers fighting like bad like uh, an, an unending wave of people coming at the tower right sure and when people sort of play tested the initial versions they were like i don't get it why can't i move the people in the tower there are better positions i could put the people in the tower in but you won't let me move them the game doesn't let me move them okay right so he decided well the plants can't move Plants can't move, so he made the defenders plants, right? Yep. And and it all gives you a reason for the tower defense genre to exist. Yes, <laughs> here's and your all, reason. Finally, exactly. And all of a sudden, everybody was fine. Nobody complained because plants don't walk around. Okay, great. So conform to biases is my point. It can often be very valuable, and and uh, I, I think about that a lot. Now mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you have to be slavish to them. Again, I want to. That's why I said unless there's a good reason. I hate it when people just unpack standard elf two four nine, right? Like, well, I want to yeah. use elves in the game, so I'll just use elves, and they'll be the they'll Boy, be is the, that boring. Yes, they'll just be the same elves again that are always elves. People have a bias toward that, but you can use a trope and change it for a relevant reason. Like, okay, if you're trying to put elves in here, why? Right? Like, what what are you doing with these things? What are they What are they adding to the world other than just being elves? Right. Exactly. Because otherwise, that game already exists. It's called D&D &D or 50 other variants of a thing yeah. like that that just uses elves in their normal way. So if your and game is going to unpack elves, do something interesting with it, right? Yeah. Okay, so so those are those are good, all very good for designing worlds. What about designing the game part? So I've got a third. Do you have any? Here, I do. I have a, I have a, this is one of a critical, critical game design concept. And it's somewhat meta, but I think it's so relevant and so often ignored. Okay? Let's hear it. Okay. Only design your mechanics to the level of detail appropriate for what you're trying to do at that moment. Let me see if I can... Let me, let me unpack. Yeah, you're okay? going to have to. Because that's a very broad, mm -hmm. empty statement, so let me make it real for you. Uh, if I was designing a game about fighting giant robots... 
Okay, we're all gonna we're gonna pilot giant robots, and and everybody gets their own giant robot. Like I'm gonna make Pacific Rim the game. Okay. Okay, we're playing Pacific Rim. I'm in. I the would first, have the first one. Yeah, the first one. Yes. Uh, I would have a ton of detailed information, granular, gritty information about the design of those robots, mm-hmm. right? Every element of them, their reactors, their weapons, their frames, right? Everything, okay? How waterproof they can be. Can they survive in space? Can they fly? What does it cost? How much do they weigh? How tall are they? How strong are they? I would define all of that to incredibly granular detail, right? Because a cool part about that game is going to be customizing your your Jaeger, your giant robot, right? That's going to be the selling point of the game. Yep. So you invest to that level of detail. So yeah, it what's has on the cover an... of the book. We need we need to know about that. Exactly. Now, if I was designing a game where I led, uh, where I controlled ma- vast armies of giant robots, okay, uh, almost more like an RTS in how mm-hmm. it plays, right? Yeah, yeah. I would not have. Then the robots would be like. Much, 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 much yeah, higher. Three level. numbers is all you need. Yes. Here's your offensive, <laughs> your offensive score, your defensive score, your mobility score, and here's Range. some various models of those things. Yeah, yeah, whatever, right? And that's it. And and that's the level of granularity I would get yep. to, right? Because I'm I've zoomed out so far that it's not relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, it, oh, if, so so how so Dungeons and Dragons deals with this, right? Like it has yeah. some kind of rules for this for when. For when you're playing a character and then when you're fighting a war or something, right? Absolutely, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. big, massive battles, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. And how you zoom out of, like, individual attack rolls and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? When you when you get to a whole big battle. And uh, D&D is, has a lot of little examples of this, right? Things that have kind of gone by the wayside. So, for example, weapon speed. Oh, right? my, yeah. Yep. Weapon speed was a thing in second edition. If you look over time, weapon speed has kind of fallen out of the game. And, you know, fifth edition went back and looked at a lot of the best ideas of the history of D&D going back to original and imported what it saw as a lot of the best concepts. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are you can you can see lots of elements of original D&D in second edition in fifth. But a thing it did not go grab was weapon speed. Mm-hmm. Some some of the minutiae that actually just slowed things down rather than making it better. Right. Because in the end, it didn't need it. Right. It was too deep for the level of sort of fast-paced combat that D&D was aiming for. It's the same reason D&D doesn't have a hit location chart or bleed-out damage. Or it's just it, not important for that game. It's just not important for that game. Now, if I was going to make some kind of like super gritty sword and sorcery you're playing you know, conan the role playing game sure right like l- magic light thing i'd probably use weapon speed and like infections and cuts and hit locations because i'm saying something about the game right it's much more granular combat should be more rare because it is so dangerous and so when it happens you want all those little components because it makes it interesting right so, so in, in, in overall, you're saying just don't design extra nuts and bolts that you don't need to fasten anything. Like, you, just, you don't need that yet. 100%, yeah. Keep your sort of, uh, keep your flair to a minimum, right? 
yeah like we think about what am i ultimately trying to achieve this is the as i there's what are the characters ultimately trying to do as i mentioned the primary gameplay loop concept from video games right what's the thing we're doing in this game in D, it's it's uh communication or rp with npcs exploration and combat those are the three pillars of the game right so what I need to do is facilitate those, and the game itself is meant to be sort of a fast-paced, fun action adventure. That's the sort of concept of D&D. That's its core. That's its subtitle, right? And so the rules that I write should support that. Uh, so do you think? Do you think yeah. video games? Um, do Do you think that they they inform some how how one should design tabletop games in that way? Oh, I think bad video games will often get caught in this trap. Okay. Okay. Where where you have a game, a video game that's supposed to be about, you know, I don't know. You have a video Pick game <laughs> that's supposed to be. Here you go. You have a video game that's ostensibly supposed to be about killing things. Yeah. Okay. Great. And then they put like massive substrates into the game about collection and crafting and everything else down to a granular level in what's ostensibly almost a first person shooter. Mm. Right. Not an RPG, almost more like you got a game that, that should play more like Doom, right? But ends mm -hmm. up having all this extraneous crap that doesn't really actually make much difference to your character. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, you're not actually doing much by doing it. It's not changing any numbers around in a big way. It's not opening up the game in new ways. It's not having a big effect. It's just there. Because that, mm, like, so video you... games all the time love bolting on these extra systems. They do. They do. Because they feel like it should be there, and oftentimes they should just be cut. Not always. Well, often. the reason being, I think, because many games are very, very successful when they find a magical combination somehow, right? Sure, sure. Like, uh, like Rust, they they found a magical combination of you know gathering and like fighting with that first person shooter mechanics you're talking about, and base building, um, and progression in that in that sense. Sure. So you you go gather stuff, you build a base, you fight people, you you go go attack their bases, and you go inside. It's a lot like I think uh, the, the Dark Age of Camelot or Camelot Unchained, whatever it's called now. Yeah, yeah. Um, th like that kind of direction where you can do all kinds of crap in the game, right? Yep, sure. Um, and they're trying to find that magical combination again. That I think that's why a lot of them do that. Now, is it the right thing to do? No. And the games that are really good, like like Rust and Dark Age of Camelot, it it was because they were designed with purpose, right? They were they 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 were looked at and. Someone said specifically, well, this is going to work this way because not this is going to work this way because it's neat, right? But because it fits. Yes, agreed completely. It was designed fit to purpose, not fit to we think we should have it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I agree completely. And I think those are probably my big three concepts. When I see something that's when I say good design, mm -hmm. what I mean is it followed those principles where I can see because if they follow that top down and everything makes sense, right? I can see the themes, the guiding principles, and I can see how it informed everything all the way down to the mechanics in the individual classes or whatever happens to be there, right? I can see how they, they, I only have to learn what's relevant to the game. I'm not unpacking and changing a bunch of my biases because I already know so much, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have a bunch of, I know a bunch of things about the real world and I can just bring those to the game and learn what's different about this game, right? And there's nothing extraneous I have to learn. What I learn is what's relevant about what I need to know to play this game and Very to agile. experience this game, right? Yeah, 100%. And that, to me, is what I mean when I say good design. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think that's uh, what, what, what do people mean when they say good design on design? 
Undesigned. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. We certainly appreciate it. If you've got uh, suggestions for future topics, there's an email down below. Please hit us up. Uh, go give us a nice rating or review on iTunes. We always appreciate that, and that probably somehow helps other people find this. Uh, if you want to see more stuff from me, obviously, I have a YouTube channel under my own name, so Vincent Venturella. You can find me there if you like Warhammer and other stuff related like that. But as always, we thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.